Okay, um, the verse today, the scripture reading is Acts 12, 25 through 13, 3. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. All right. Thank you, Ruth. You're a natural. You're getting better and better all the time. Any day now, you'll be preaching too. Um, all right. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night. Um, so glad you're joining us. And um, I did want to point out, in case you didn't notice, the, uh, the watermarks on the screen. There's one of them right over here-ish, right? And it says... Uh, it says if you need help, there's an email address there. And it also says if you'd like to give, there's a number you can text there. Um, I do want to encourage you, those of you who have found yourself in excess during this time, we have a lot of people who have found themselves with a lot less. Uh, we several times a week have people emailing the church that are from our church and connected to our church, and, and they have lost their jobs. They need uh, money for rent. They need money for mortgages. And we try our best to help every single one of them somehow, however we can. Um, and, uh, and we've seen our, our sort of, our, our, you know, as you do when you're giving money away and helping people, uh, your accounts start to lower a little bit. And we're not worried about it um, because God provides everything that we've ever had. Every dollar that's ever come through our hands has been taken care of and given to us. And we've been free with it to give it to the people who need it and to serve uh, our community the best possible way that we can. But I want you to ponder that. If you need help, there's an email address there. Um, if you can help, there's a phone number there. Um, and um, like she said, we do need a, an electrician to do some work. Um, part of the steps towards moving to gathering people in here, we want to start adding, like, starting off probably house churches to these groups, to these meetings, and then grow it from there. But we need some electric work done because there's no power in the back of the building right now. Um, and uh, it's going to take some extra sound equipment to actually make it so you can hear online and hear in the room at the same time. People don't realize if you were to walk into the room while the band is playing, you wouldn't hear anything. Um... So, yeah, that's, there's just some random things we need that we never prepared for because we never thought this would happen. Okay. Um, but here's our passage today, and uh, today is going to be different. Um, we're going we're gonna to sort of work through maybe a subject that you've probably never thought about, that maybe you've never heard of, the, the idea of communal discernment, and we're going to talk about that. And so I'm just going to take my time. i got nowhere else to be. You don't have anywhere else to be because you can just pause it. Time is fluid. Time's not real anymore. This could be two in the morning and you wouldn't even know. Um, and so here's the thing. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to start off by doing this. I'm going to talk about three things that the church, the pattern of the church in the book of Acts, how it was being planted, how this was working. When they went to a new city, what did they do? Three things in a row. And uh, I'm going to talk about that. Um, and then I'm going to talk about sort of models of the church and then I'm going to point out sort of the differences between church today and church back then and how it could, we could do ourselves some good to ponder ways that we can practice what they were doing, okay? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you 
uh, for your providence through everything, through all of this time. Thank you for the ways in which you have kept us going, um, for those um, who you have provided for, who have then helped provide for us. Um, thank you that uh, you've provided for our staff, um, for the people in our community who, who, have, who have lost jobs. Um, you are just a God who keeps providing for us during intense, difficult seasons. And, uh, and we can rest at ease knowing that, uh, that you are going before us and you will lead us through everything. And so I pray that right now we would be at ease, that right now we would push everything off to the, the sides of, of, of our minds. Yes, there are things that we worry about, that, we, that keep us up at night, that we think about. But right now, wherever we are, allow us to push those things aside, affirm that they are big and important, but right now we don't need them for this moment. Let us be here with you uh, with one heart, one mind, one spirit, and hear from you and receive whatever you have for us. Thank you, Father. In your name. Amen. Okay, so um, you will notice over and over and over again, there are three particular things that happen, three patterns um, in the process of church planting in the mission in Acts. Um, so I want to work maybe through these, and I've got some scripture uh, references for you so you can go check these things out. First off, the first thing that they did was when the missionaries will head into a new town, they begin by preaching in the Jewish synagogues. Remember, this message is first and foremost a message to the Jewish people that their, um, that their covenant with God is being fulfilled. That covenant involves the blessing of all people and the salvation of the world, but it begins with them, and they need to awaken to it. And so first thing they do is they go to God's people, and they tell them, hey, in case you didn't know, here's what God has done. He has provided everything that he promised you would. Um, and the second thing that they did was they proclaimed what is called the gospel, um, We've talked about this ad nauseum, what the gospel is, and there's all different ways of describing in American Christianity what the gospel is. But in the ancient Roman world, the gospel was a very simple thing. It was a proclamation that there was a new king. It was the story of how this person became king and what that means for the world. There was the gospel of Caesar, the gospel of Herod. There was all kinds of gospels. People would walk into a city and proclaim a gospel. There is a new king sitting on the throne. Here's how he became king, and here's what this means for you. Higher taxes, lower taxes. Uh, more war, or if you're not a Roman city, they walk in and say, here's the gospel of, uh, of Caesar Augustus, and the good news is that you are now a Roman city. And if you refuse this, you'll be wiped out, but it is a privilege to be a Roman city. And so the gospel will be proclaimed. So the Christians walk into a city, but the message about Christianity, how Jesus became king, is that there is a new king. It is Jesus Christ, the crucified, buried, and risen king, and his kingdom will have no end and salvation has now come to the world. Um, and so this gospel was very specific about what it was. And then so the last thing that they would do um, is they would gather with those who had joined this new kingdom, and they would discern the voice of the Spirit of God. I'm going to come over and get my elements and grab my water because I need to be close to my water. Um, did I walk out of frame? I apologize, Michael. He's told me where exactly I can go. Um, so they gathered with those who, who joined this new kingdom and they discerned the voice of the Spirit of God together. Um, this is what we're going to focus on because not a lot of people have really gathered, got a glimpse, a good glimpse of like what this means in the ancient world. They gathered together, they fasted and they prayed um, and they listened and they spoke out loud what they believed God was doing in their midst, in their community, 
in whatever city that they were in and what God was going to do through them to this city. So, I want to talk about this because um, here is the uh, sort of the passage here. Let's read this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So there was this communal discernment in the room or maybe on the patio or in the portico or whatever they get, wherever they gathered. There was this communal discernment and everyone realized together that there were several people that should be set aside and that should be sent on a mission to plant the next church. That they should be released from this church, that their work here was done and that they should go somewhere else. Um, this is very different you may have realized, from the modern church today. Um, so I, I have some high-quality images and graphic, graphical content for you. Um, this is how the modern church is set up. Um, there is an individual, and there is a gathering of people centered around this individual. Um, this individual sets the vision, sets the culture, sets the boundaries for what the church can be and cannot be, who can come in and who cannot come in. Um, and the one person sort of hears from God, if you will, receives sort of the, the word of the Spirit of God and passes this out to the people and determines for them what they can and cannot be, what they can and cannot do, um, and how exactly everything will function. And the people gathered there tend to say, whatever you say. Uh, and they submit to the leadership. Now, um, this is typically how the modern church works, but it's not always one person. Um, sometimes the one person is replaced by elders or a presbytery or bishops that are underneath a pope that is giving this down, the, the, the messages down, and the vision to them and the boundaries and the culture to them. But the way the, way the discernment works is it usually is a group of people or a single person that is discerning for everyone else. And so everyone else doesn't need to do anything. They can come and they can listen and they can receive and they can agree or they can disagree. If they disagree, they usually move on to another one and maybe they'll agree with that one. But this is how modern churches function. We've gone very used to this. I'm not saying that this is wrong, but we must admit when we look at the book of Acts and we look at different places in the scriptures that this is not how it was done in the first century. This is not how the early church actually did things. So I want to talk about that um, and the reason I want to ponder this is because I, I want to awaken you to your role in discernment in the world, in the church. Um, uh, and you, not just your role, like your responsibility to be listening to the Spirit of God and to speak those things to the community and to help guide the culture and the vision and the boundaries of the community together. So, um, Let's talk about what they did back then. So typically the ancient church was a gathering of equals. They were from all walks of life. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, but the early, early church had an understanding that the Spirit of God speaks through the body of Christ, the entire, entirety of the body of Christ. Now, there are in the body of Christ different gifts, and let's say, let's highlight some of those. There's the gift of knowledge. That would be the teacher. Um, there is the gift of guidance. That would be the pastor. Uh, there's the gift of wisdom. That would be like the elders. Um, and even outside of that, there are all kinds of gifts, prayer and love and service and healing and all kinds of things that make up the body of Christ. It takes all the parts and every single piece is intricate and important and included for a reason. 
all of it is necessary and all of it should be there. Um, but as they gather together, um, some of the, as they are practicing their different roles, they are all collectively listening to God together. And as they do, um, as they come together and as they gather as the full body of Christ and as they listen to the Spirit of God, they discern what God is doing in their midst. They discern the decisions that they should make. They discern the paths that they should go down. They discern the changes they, sh they should make in the church. Um, and they collectively come to an agreement together as the full body of Christ. There is no laziness. There is no one just hanging out, listening, and raising a hand. There is a collective discernment about what is God doing? Um, where is God leading us? What is God bringing us to become? And this way, there is growth. There is movement. God is always doing a new thing. The scriptures are always talking about this. Um, and so as they do, this is how they tend to discern in the ancient world. It is a collective thing that they did together. We don't have all the details on how it worked. Um, we don't know how they voted, how they spoke out loud. And there's a reason for that. I don't think we are giving that so that we don't follow some set piece of rules. Every culture is different. Christianity is meant to fit into every culture in the entire world. Um, and as it does, there will be different ways that this is expressed. But the idea is that no one is on the sidelines. All right? Now, we also notice that when we read the text, there is a diversity of gathering. The gathered church has always intended to be diverse. We can see that emphasized here in this passage. We had several different names. It says uh, in verse 1, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers, Barnabas and Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, we see here several different things. We see uh, prophets, we see teachers, we see different kind of gifts. Uh, we also see people of different nationalities. Um, we have Simon, who's called Niger, that is, that is a Latin word which literally means dark complexion. Um, and Lucius from Cyrene. Cyrene um, is an area in Africa, so the Cyrene is, is also, uh, um, I'm sorry, so Lucius of Cyrene is also a black man. Um, so there are different ethnicities of people. You have Manan, who is a childhood friend of, of Herod, a childhood friend who was raised with him. So Manan has a different point of view. Manan has this very Hellenistic, um, Roman, Greco-Roman worldview that is different from both Simon and Lucius and from Barnabas and from Saul. Um, all of them had these different ideas, different cultures that they were raised, and yet they all come together as one people, and as they do, they gather and they discern collectively together what God has for them. Um, we are left with this diverse group of people, different places, different experiences, and God's people have always been made up of diversity, a community made up of, of men and women and Gentile and Jew, slave, free, Greek, Scythian. Paul talks about this regularly. There's no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more man and woman, slave or free. You are all one. Um, so there's no separation amongst them. Even Israel, ancient Israel, all the way back to the story of, of Genesis, even ancient Israel was born out of um, a mixed race couple. Abraham marries his African wife, Hagar. God has always been doing this, bringing people from opposite places together and binding them together into one flesh in this way. 
And that's what the body of Christ is. The church is the gathering. It is one flesh, one people. God brings the diversity of people together in a world that values sameness. We value sameness. We want to live in neighborhoods that look like us. We want to hang out with people that are like us. We want to, listen to, we want to go to churches that have the same music that we like. All this stuff. We value sameness. And in a world that values sameness, it is, and it's no different than it was in the ancient Roman world, but in the world that values sameness, God breaks that apart and brings in opposites and differences and diversity together to collectively, as one person, hear the, hear the message and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Um, you are collectively one people. God is speaking in your unity, not your separateness. No one is sitting on the sidelines and, and listening to the guy at the top and just absorbing everything that he is saying. As God is a community and creates his world, so shall you be. This is how the church is supposed to be. So the process of the church was not led by one person. It was, it was, that was lifted up above all the others. I mean, what would that mean if there was one person that was lifted up above all the others to discern and, and, and tell everyone else what they're discerning for them? That would mean that God values one person, one type of person, and it, over all the others, and if there is a multi, sort of, um, a, a very diverse sort of multi-ethnic, multi-racial sort of group of people, then that would be the same as lifting up one race to be supreme over the others, and God doesn't do that. Um, and so if you look at our church, I'm a teacher, um, but I am not the sole one who hears from God. I'm a teacher, I, I study the scriptures, um, and, and it's my role to open them up and tell us what they say but that doesn't necessarily determine what it means for us in our community. That is for us to collectively discern as a community. Um, and so they, when the prophet speaks, the people are ready to hear because they have prepared themselves to hear. It says clearly that they fasted and they prayed. By fasting, they are putting aside um, purposely their physical desires. And this is an important thing. If you're going to discern the words of the Spirit of God, you have to be able to put aside everything that you hold close and all of your desires, everything that you want, symbolized by fasting. I'm not even going to eat. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do anything that I want that my physical flesh desires so that I can put my own desires aside and hear what God wants for me. And so the entire community would have a set amount of time that they would fast for and they would come together all having put their desires aside, not just metaphorically, but literally, so that they could hear what God wanted for them. And so there was no selfishness in the community. And God acted in that discipline. God is present in the disciplines. They are efficacious. They mean something. So they prayed, and they fasted, and they listened to the words of God. Um, and we see all that in verse 3. And then in verse 6, um, we see that after they discerned the direction of God for the community, they come together, they place their hands on the ones who they had discerned would be sent out, and they release them from the body in Antioch. So that they can join the other bo another body elsewhere. They come together. They put their hands on them and say, hey, your job amongst us is over. It's done. Imagine Paul being your pastor and you discerning together, I think God is sending you to be someone else's pastor. And God speaks to this. And the only way you can hear this, like you, you don't want this to happen because you love Paul. He's brilliant. Um, he's like, he writes in this Aristotelian Greek and the way he speaks is brilliant and his, his, his rhetorical skills are incredible. And you gather together and you love your pastor and, but you've put all your alone desires aside and you listen to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God tells you collectively as a group, it is time for this man to move on. And you hear it and you speak it and you lay your hands on Paul and Barnabas 
and you tell them your work here is done, you're going on to bless another people in your work. All right? Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I don't know if you've ever seen this done. If you grew up Southern Baptist like I did, like you never saw this ever. Um, I, in my growing up in my life, I, I knew a lot of Christians from different denominations. And Christianity is very diverse, lots of different people. Um, and I remember once hearing a specific conversation, being a, a, at a table, I think I was like a, a teenager, maybe like, like, like a preteen, and I'm sitting at a table, and there are two adults. It's, it's like a, a conference kind of thing. I was there with my dad, who was a speaker, and I remember hearing two people have a conversation about how they left their church. And normally that's a terrifying story, and that's a sad story, and like they get mad and you leave. This was different. Um, this couple, I don't remember much about them. I sort of remember how he looked, and I remember the sound of his voice. But he sat there, and he described how um, he had been offered a job in a new city. They were a well-loved family in their church. They were leaders in their church. They had served in his church for a very long time, but they weren't on paid staff. And he got this job offer somewhere else, and it was in a field he had always dreamed of working on, a field which he was very, very good at. And so they did a discernment gathering where they practiced this. I don't know what denomination he was from. I want to assume that they were some sort of Quaker or Anabaptist tradition, but they gathered, and he says they sat in a circle, and he was explaining this to somebody who had also never heard it, a Baptist. And, and they're sitting in a circle, um, and he says that everyone gathered, and they listened to them as he said, here's the opportunity. Here's what I've done here. Here's what we love about this church. Here's what we love about this city. Here's what we love about our life. Here's the things that are difficult. Here's what I like about my work. Here's what I don't like. Here's what's going on over here. Um, this is what they're offering me. Um, just all the details. Here's what life, here's what city it's in. Um, and blah, 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 just describing what life would be like there. And the group decides, okay, we've listened. I would like you and your family to leave for a few minutes. You're gonna step outside and we're gonna pray and we're gonna discern for you what this is going to be. And it was the type of church that they trusted each other in this way. And so he left and after a while, he comes back in and they, they look at him and they, they say, we have discerned that you should move on. We love you. We've known you for decades. And we love being your friend. But this is what God has for you. And so they gathered around him and they put their hands on him and they sent him off. And I hear this and I think of the book of Acts. And I'm like, that's what they did. That's how they did it. That's what they were doing when they were discerning. Um, compare that with um, how we tend to view the modern-day church. God has called me to be a pastor of this church. I remember the year God called me, and so God called me, and so I'm the pastor of the church, and God is speaking to me through the church. And at some point, I will get up and say, God has called me to another church. God call I heard God call me. Nobody else in the church has heard this, by the way. But I heard this. God has called me to somewhere else. And this is how this tends to go. Um, and so I'm off and, every, and all the other elders are like, why didn't God tell us this? Like we could have prepared for this kind of thing. Had we known, um, it's because they, they were discerning by themselves. And I want you to ponder what it means to, to attempt to sit and have your own personal walk with God in a way that is, that is so centered on you and just you alone that you are making all these decisions which directly affect your community, the church in which you are a part of. I remember one year when 13 founding couples of this church moved away. The economy was coming back after, after 2008. Things were just, people were getting jobs again and people in our church were getting job offers everywhere. All of my dearest friends 
and week after week, 18 fam- couples in one year, um, were like, hey, we're moving on. And I'm going to be honest with you, the community was absolutely devastated um, and hurt. But like, this is how it has always been. There's no other options. Or is there? Um, have you ever had someone leave your community knowing full well the disaster that was waiting for them on the other end? Have you ever seen somebody move away to a new job knowing, telling your friends, they should not go there? This is a terrible idea. I don't know why they're doing this. But it's their choice to make. And so you let them do it. Have you ever seen two people decide that they're going to get married? And they come to you and they say, we're getting married. And you're like, Really? And you're terrified because you know this is a terrible idea. Because you've been around them when they fought. And they're mean to each other. And they're bitter. And they try to hurt each other with their words. And you know full well that this is not of God. And later on you find out you're right. Have you ever seen a brother or sister leave the incredible work that they were doing, making a modest living because someone offered them a massive paycheck somewhere else? And you think in your head, there is no one else to do this work in this city. And these people are going to suffer because this person is chasing money. We all have. We've all seen moments like this. We've all held our tongue. But perhaps in the body of Christ, it should be different. Perhaps in the body of Christ, we should ponder the community and what God is doing, not as individuals, but with the collective. And perhaps other people can speak into our lives better than we ever could. Perhaps we need the perspective of those around us and their relationship with God to speak into your life on these huge decisions that you need to make. This is how it worked in the ancient church in the first century. Um, One of the problems is that we have been so discipled by the world today, by Americanism, that we can no longer imagine all of the ways that our personal decisions affect the community around us as a whole. And we've been taught not really to care either. That's their problem, not ours. We are individuals. And we've been so, um, we, we don't remember how, we don't realize how much we have been stitched into the body of Christ. How we've been, as Peter would say, how we are called to consider the quarry from which we were hewn and, and, and how we were carved to fit as living stones in the temple of God. But our individualism tends to be all that matters. And so we have decided that God speaks to me and through me to me. Instead of speaking to others, through me. To me, or, or to me through others. Like, I'm getting very confused with my words, but we never p- ponder the fact that God is speaking to us through the community around us. We just kind of assume, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, and God is going to speak directly to me without the input of my community, of the actual body of Christ. And the early church was not like this. They had one heart, they had one mind. And as we grow and as we mature, we must at some point learn to discern these things together. I think there are elements of this kind of work going on at Watermark. I see, I've seen the house churches um, gathering together and helping each other make important decisions. I've seen the elders over the last, you know, five or six years really learn to go and listen to the people more like, what is God doing here? What is God doing here? And, uh, and the elders champion and the voice of, 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 of God that the, that, that the people are hearing. Um, and I think we're on the right path. And I think we could really hone in on this kind of skill. 
The idea of discernment, of praying and fasting, putting aside our own desires and asking, what does God want of us? What does God want the boundaries of our community to be? What does God want our work to be centered upon? How does God want us to respond to the world around us? There's even been moments where I've grown so comfortable that I've gone to the elders and asked them about purchases that I want to make. And I said, hey, here's something I'm thinking about buying. Does this align with a life that is shaped and formed by Christ? And perhaps that is the sanest thing we can begin to do instead of making this decision all by ourselves. So from here, I want to talk about Jesus for a second, because the whole point of this is if we're the body of Christ and we should try to be like Jesus and we, just, we should discern the way Jesus discerned, we are so used to just reading the Bible and trying to hear God through the Bible. Um, in my youth group, I remember growing up, there would be these sermons um, and stories of these men and women from the Bible, and every week there would be sort of a different one picked, and one week we would learn how to be like Moses, and they would talk about Moses and all the things that Moses did, and they would... Of course, you don't talk about the bad things that Moses did, but you want to be like Moses. And then we talk about David, we talk about all the good things that David did, but do not talk about the bad things that David did. Um, and then we talk about Joshua. We want to be like Joshua, right? We're going to be strong and courageous as from, you know, like that's, that's how we want to live. And we want to be like Joshua. Um, but the problem is that in all of this, we forget that we are not called to be like Joshua. We are not called to be like Moses. We are not called to be like David. We are not called to be like Abraham. We are only called to be like Christ. These men and women of the Old Testament, they may have been godly, but God was not like them. They were godly in a sense that they were trying to listen and they were trying to follow God, but they did not have the full grasp of who God was. But in the New Testament... We are given Christ. We are given Jesus. And we are told that Jesus is the word of God. There is no longer a, a reason for us to open the Bible and try to be like these other characters. Jesus is the one whom we settle upon. If the church is supposed to be like Jesus, then the gathered church should be striving to be led in the same way that Jesus was led. And Jesus, I wanna be, I'm going to say something, and it's going to make some people mad. Before you email me, sit and ponder it for a couple of days at least, Okay. Jesus was not led by the Bible. Jesus was led by the Spirit. And you have to understand this. Um, I want to read some texts for you. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4. Um, is this thing uh, working? Okay. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he goes into the temple when he starts his ministry. And he picks up the scroll and he reads something that was directly about himself. And he says as much. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the, uh, for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By the, year, by the way, the year of the Lord's favor, that's not, a, uh, that's not uh, the favor of the Lord is upon you, now you're going to get rich. The year of the Lord's favor was literally about the year of Jubilee when all debt would be canceled. When everyone is set free, everywhere, okay? Uh, and so Jesus starts his ministry by saying, the spirit of the Lord has fallen upon me. This is when Jesus' ministry starts. This is right at the beginning of it. And he says, God is calling me to something. The spirit of God is leading me. Jesus was not deciding all of these things by himself. Jesus himself 
allowed himself to be led by the Spirit. Three times in the text, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted. Jesus was led by the Spirit to this city or that city. Over and over and over again, Jesus is led by the Spirit. Jesus, the body of Christ, the physical body, structure body of God in this world, is led by the Spirit. And people always knew that he would be led by the Spirit. You can read the words of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. He says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. It's talking about the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the spirit of God is going to be what is going to drive Jesus. So Jesus did not open the Bible every day and read it and do what it said. He understood the Bible. He memorized much of the text as a Jewish boy in the first century. He probably would have had the entire Pentateuch memorized. So he knew the text, but he was led by the spirit of God that was being revealed to him every day as he practiced the spiritual disciplines. And the book of Acts is about a people, a church, learning to be the body of Christ. And how are you going to learn to be the body of Christ if you never allow yourself to be led specifically by the Spirit? The book of Acts, in the book of Acts, none of the churches were led by the Bible, primarily because they didn't actually have one. The, the entirety of the canon was not collected until really early 4th century. That's when we find the first list of the canon. They were led by the Spirit, and this is how they discerned it. And I know we consider that dangerous today because we have forgotten how to practice this, to put all of our own desires aside for a structure and what it should be, put them all aside, and to listen to God, to understand, to read the text, to study the life of these people and how they were led, study the life of Christ, and learn to be led as Jesus was, as the body of Christ ourselves, by the Spirit of God who is going before us and is speaking directly into our situation, in our context, in our day. And when we come together, all of the elements of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, of his life, are here. There is the speaking of the message, like all of the things that Jesus had in his life when he was moving through the earth, being led by the Spirit, all of them are here in the church. Jesus was speaking the words of God as the prophet, and so we speak the message of God through the sermon. There was the breaking and the pouring out of the body of Christ on the cross and in communion. It's all here. Uh, there was a time of prayer and listening to the Spirit of God, and this is what we should be doing as well. And when we neglect one of these things, we are missing some of the work that God is calling us to do. And so we quote the scriptures, we study the scriptures, and we allow the Word of God, which is not the scriptures, the Word of God is Jesus. The Bible is very clear on this. The Word of God is Jesus. We allow, so we quote and study the scriptures, and we allow the Word of God, Jesus, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We all know the passage that King David used to talk about, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we read this and we quote this, but what pops into our head is the Bible is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, okay? But the problem is when you read the New Testament, there is a transition from the page, from the paper to flesh. The word made flesh dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible. You should memorize as much of the Bible as you possibly can and understand how to read it contextually. But the Bible is not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And the law is not what we follow. The law in the book of Acts is made spirit. And so the word of God is Jesus and the law of God is the spirit of God. And these two things collectively, when we now read the Old Testament, let's, let's do this. Let's have an exercise 
in reading the Old Testament, reading the scriptures through the word of God, through Jesus, understanding full well that Jesus is the word of God and that the spirit of God is the law written upon our hearts. And by the way, they always knew it would eventually be written on our hearts. The paper law was temporary. It was made to dwell inside of us, okay? So now let's, let's have an exercise in reading the text, all right? So I have Psalm chapter 119 here, and I've added, after every part where it talks about the word and the law, I've added the correct reference how the New Testament writers would understand this. So read this with me, either in your mind or loudly in your house so that your animals look at you funny. Here we go. Your word, Jesus Christ, that is the word. Your word, Jesus Christ, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous law, your Holy Spirit. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word, Christ Jesus. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your law. Teach me your, the directing of your spirit. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your spirit. The wicked have set a snare before me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your spirit is my, inher- is my heritage forever. The joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping the guidance of your spirit to the very end. This is how the New Testament authors read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ with these new things that they have been given, these new ideas that they have been given, these new facts of how God was now moving in the world. This is how they read it. And so following every day the word of God, which is Jesus, and being led by the law of God, which is the spirit of God inside of us, speaking to us communally. I want to leave you with one more quote uh, by William Jennings. His, his commentary on the book of Acts is incredible. Uh, he's a brilliant African-American theologian. He says this. He says, this kind of cooperation may in fact be rare for us, but it never had to be. Whenever women and men give themselves to the disciplines that attune the body to its hunger for the spirit, they will find themselves receptive to the voice of God. And they will hear the spirit speaking and offering guidance. If we are not gathering and listening collectively to the voice of the spirit, then we are not being the full presence of Christ in our city. We are guessing. We are listening with just our own ears and our own hearts which is one piece of a body that is fully equipped to understand what God is doing. And so there should be moments where we are gathering in groups collectively, discerning what God has for us, learning to set our own desires aside for Watermark and trying to figure out what God's desire is for Watermark, for our church gathering. And again, if you didn't notice, like as we spent three years studying the book of Matthew, as we studied the book of Matthew, we awakened to some of the things that God was doing in us. He was making us more passionate for justice, for racial, rec- uh, for racial justice and racial reconciliation, for, um, for equality, um, for listening to the voice of the unheard. He was making us, over that three years, a people who were learning to be the presence of God, the faithful presence of Jesus in our city for those who needed us 
who needed us to amplify their voices of pain and to stand with, in solidarity with them, speaking out against injustice. And then, when that was all over, the events of 2020 happened, and God gave us opportunities to exercise it. Some in our community were opposed to it. Some in our community pushed back on what we believe God was doing. And I understand that. And there is grace. Not everyone is ready to hear. But that was what God had for us in the book of Matthew. Now we are in the book of Acts. And as we study the book of Acts, we have to learn to grow more and learn to be led by the Spirit more. We must learn to discern the intricacies of life together, the decisions that need to be made. We must learn to be led by the Spirit. We must learn to discern life in Christ together. And so we should learn to practice these things. We should come up with methods. Um, we should encourage this kind of behavior in our community. I want to encourage you, you don't have to make these massive decisions by yourself. We would love to gather and help you make these decisions. Whether it's jobs, whether it's moving, whether it's joining the church, whether it's getting married, whatever it is, we would love to find some method by which we can gather and help you discern these things so we can speak into your life and speak what we see, what God speaks to us about. And as we study the Bible, we have to learn to change. We must order ourselves around what we learn. And so that is, I guess, my big challenge for all of us this morning, that we would learn to apply ourselves to these types of things. That we would be open to letting the voice of God speak to us from those around us, um, and that we would allow ourselves to hear from them. And so now we're going into a time of communion. If you have your elements... Go ahead and grab those. I'm going to take a quick sip of water here. And so, if you have your elements, there are two of them. There's the body of Christ broken for you. There's the blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, all of this is how healing and salvation of the soul, of the body, of the heart, of society, this is how it enters into the world. By the body of Christ being broken and poured out. Um, and so we offer this to you, whoever you are, wherever you are gathered, I want you to know that the body of Christ was specifically broken for you. It was poured out for you, for your healing. And the invitation is, is open to you to come and follow Jesus. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Remove your allegiance from these earthly kings and put it in Christ Jesus, King Jesus. And come follow God with us by listening to his spirit so that we can work with God to establish his kingdom here in our midst. Body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ spilled and poured out for you. And so now we're going to do our collect prayer together. Do this with us. God of perfect compassion, who revealed unconditional love on the cross, who forgives without pause and surrounds us with love. Help us feel the warmth of your presence when we feel unmoored and lost so that when we see hatred, we remember your love. Break our bitterness and free us from fear, loving others as you loved us, joyful in the knowledge that your compassion knows no bounds. Grace and peace, Watermark. Love you all. Miss you all. 
counting down the days until we can be together in this space again. Um, if you're still with us right now and still listening, stick around and join us for our sort of after party at 11.45. Go to watermarktampa slash events and look for it there. We'll have the link for you. Grace and peace.